Welcome to today's family experience, helping families pull together in a world that is pulling families apart. My name is Chuck Hagley. I lead the team here at Project Patch, and I am thrilled today to welcome into the Project Patch studio, Mark Shelsky. Mark, glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Now, for some of you that don't know Mark Shelsky, um, Mark and I, it's hard to even know where to begin. We met probably early 1990s yeah. um, college summer camp. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Lots of friends in common. Right. All of that. And then we graduated. I think we we're both same year graduation even, wasn't it? 95 95, yeah. Wow. <laughs> we are becoming old men. Oh, that's right. That's right. A hundred years ago. <laughs> Back then you had a lot more hair. I did. Much more. Different places. Different. Yeah, it's kind of extended. I still have about the same amount of hair, but I can't grow a beard with my life dependent on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, we shared a lot in common back then, but but life took us apart. And, and probably about four years ago, we had a chance to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And as we reconnected, it was just amazing to me to to see that that your life has taken on more passion. I mean, as college, you were passionate about so many different things. Hmm. Um, but as we started reconnecting way back about four years ago, you told me about a project that we were working on, um, having to do with emotions and perfectionism and a bunch of stuff. And now, um, you know, as we're recording this almost into September, you have a book coming out September 1st. Um, give me the, the quick title and, and, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's funny thinking back to talking about that four years ago, it's really crazy how long of a process this book's journey has been. But, um, yeah, the book is, uh, the wisdom of your heart, discovering the God given, uh, purpose and power of your emotions. And it's, uh, a project that, that started in, um, my own brokenness. It started in the mess that I was going through where I ended up in a place through circumstances and uh, difficulties of life, but I ended up in a place where I did not have the emotional tools to handle or process what I was going through. And that ended up leading to a great deal of pain for myself and the people around me. And, uh, I go into that process, that story in the book, but the book exists because of the painful process that I went through. And as I began talking about this with other people, it became apparent that what I was going through wasn't my own illness. It was something that was common for lots of people. And as a pastor now for more than 20 years, it's become apparent that this is a problem that's common in the church. And so the book is really addressing that. Uh, The question that the book is addressing is what would it look like if growing emotionally was part of the process of growing in Christ. If, if the church experience included, um, a challenge to mature in our emotions, to become emotionally competent as we grow, not just to learn more theology and learn how to do church things better. Um, not just to learn, you know, more, uh, methods for prayer or Bible study, but to actually learn some of the tools for understanding and handling the emotions that we feel, uh, so that we can understand what, what, what those emotions are trying to tell us mm-hmm. because they're trying to tell us something. Well, and that's, that's really interesting because when, when you and I met, neither of us are married, you know, so as yeah. we've progressed through life, we've added layers of, of complexity, right? You know, and so your story's teaching pastor, so teaching elder, so mm-hmm. really the, the role of leadership in a church setting, um, came to you young. Yes, with, right. With a lot of a lot of weight onto that, mm-hmm. um, adding onto that husband. Yeah, you know, and so husband demanded more of you, mm-hmm. um, dad of a of a kid. Mm-hmm. And honestly, reading your section about being a dad and the tiredness, <laughs> you know that 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 I, I get that it's yeah. I mean it's yours, and so you add on responsibility as well as being stretched. Yeah, you know, and then you you add on to to ministry and responsibility. It really did, as as I connected to this book, it, it came from a place of your system of coping, your system of, of survival, of knowledge, everything really got to the point that, that your demands stretched you beyond beyond what you could. Right. That's exactly that's exactly it. The way that I was living worked for me through college. It worked for me through my singlehood. It worked through the early years of my marriage. It, it really wasn't working in my marriage, but it worked for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, it seemed like things were going well. And 
exactly as you describe it, when more and more layers of responsibility and emotional complexity were added on, that's when it got stretched. And I got to a place where I, I could not bear the burden that I had. And, you know, that was new for me. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with it. And it ended up, you know, being incredibly painful. It ended up, I ended up in a place of, of deep depression, um, lots of anxiety, uh, emotional brokenness in relationship with people that are close to me. And that was, it was all a fruit of not being equipped to be able to handle and process what was happening for me emotionally. Mm -hmm. And that really is, is interesting because you were well-intentioned, you were hardworking, devoted. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is, is the undeniable part. Yeah. And you were harming. Right. Well, that's exactly right. You know, my story isn't the story of somebody who's emotional breakdown happened in the middle of some uh, catastrophe with substances or something like that, right? I was doing all the right things, type A person, get the job done, uh, make things happen, growing an active church, caring for my family, doing all that stuff. And the people looking at my life from the outside, most of them would have thought almost everything was fine. And they would have thought that because they didn't have intimate access mm-hmm. to me. I mean, that was part of my story was it was very hard for me to connect intimately with other people, for me to share what was really going on. Even in my own marriage, it was difficult because I had set myself up in this position where I was responsible for the emotional state of my wife. And so I couldn't share with her my difficulties because to share with her my difficulties would mess up. Mm-hmm the gift I was trying to give, you know? And so I was isolated. I was in a place where I didn't have anybody that I could talk to about this reality. And, you know, I've, you know, since I was a little kid, I've been the kind of guy who could handle it on my own, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and that's something we, we try and raise our kids for as parents, right? We want our kids to have independence. We praise them when they learn to tie their shoelaces, you know? And as we grow, um, especially for, I think, type A people, that sense of accomplishment is so important. And yet, as we get older and we find ourselves in these uh, communities or positions of leadership or parenting, these are all places where the job gets done collaboratively. The Mm -hmm. job gets done by depending on one another, Mm -hmm. right? It gets done by having real conversations about the truth of what's happening. And I wasn't able to do that. And so then it was just more and more and more on my shoulders and I was trying my hardest and it wasn't enough. And then I'd be feeling guilty and shameful about my inability. And I'd be feeling bitter about people that I imagined should be pitching in that weren't, even though they didn't even know what was going on inside of me you know, I could still feel bitter about them, you know, you know, and all of those feelings, you know, that a good pastor is not supposed to feel bitter towards his congregation. That's, that's crazy, right? A good pastor is not supposed to be angry about volunteers. You know, all of these things are kind of swirling around inside me. And I didn't, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. It was just negative energy that I wanted to escape. Well, and I think what's, what's powerful about that, I mean, you describe it and, and we're not going to break that story all the way down because I, people need to get the book, you know, and they need to read it and really catch it. But the heart of it is it, it, this journey started from a place of personal desperation for, isn't there something else? It, yeah. Realizing that, that the tools, the, the, this wasn't going to end well if, if you kept on this track. Yeah. Not it was necessarily very clear write to me. a book. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it was very clear to me that where I was at was unsustainable. You yeah. know, the place that I was at emotionally, the, the, the pain, the agony was so deep and I couldn't see a way out of it and I couldn't work harder to get out of it. You know, you can't solve overwork by working mm-hmm. harder. You know, I, I couldn't, none of the tools that I had were working and I could just see my wife leaving me and losing my children and my church deciding that I was off my rocker and losing my ministry. And I could just see all of those things, you know, rolling out ahead of me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go to, go to that place, but I didn't have the tools to make a change, you know? And so this story, as, as people read it, this is really a combination story. And then it transitions into kind of a teaching role as you share what you've, as you share your journey and discovered other people are, at different parts of that journey. But really at, at some point in this, other people started to really expose you to different ways of, of looking at, 
at even your own personal life experiences, other ways of, of looking at, at striving, other ways of looking at serving. What were some of the, what were some of the blocks that had kept you from seeing some of the stuff as clearly as you see it now? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I think that perspective is really tricky and powerful. We all operate from a viewpoint of some sort, that viewpoint we've built through life experience and mentors and teachers and the influential people in our lives, churches, families, those things. And, you know, when you have a viewpoint on something, you can feel like your viewpoint is the objective truth. It is the way that things are and not realize it's a viewpoint that mm -hmm. if you, you know, step two feet to the left, the viewpoint's going to be different. And the viewpoint that I had, you know, there were several things tied up in it. You know, I, my own personal viewpoint about myself, I had this picture of myself as a, a competent accomplisher, a person that could get things done, you know, and that had to really, I mean, my sense of value is really rooted in performance and accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I was able to feel good at the end of the day. You know, I mean, a to-do list is a, is a low grade drug for me, mm -hmm. you know, that I have a list of things to accomplish. And at the end of the day, I can look at that and I can say, look at that. I did stuff and yeah. serotonin kicks off in my brain and I feel like I accomplished something and I feel like I earned the air I breathed today. And, you know, all of that, that's a part of who I am. Then I also, you know, I grew up in a faith community that was very, um, intellectually focused, mm -hmm. a church that prioritized, uh, studying scripture and understanding theology and being able to talk about those things in intelligent ways. And that was all for the good. But the sort of backside of that coin was that that same community really downplayed, um, the role of emotions in our lives mm -hmm. in the very best framing. It downplayed them in some situations. It was worse than downplaying in some situations. There were stories I was told about how you your emotions uh, are always going to lead you astray. They're going to deceive you. Emotions are always shallow. Um, you know, there's kind of a tone. There was kind of a tone in the community I grew up in, the church community I grew up in, where, you know, sort of if anything feels good, it must mm -hmm. be the wrong thing. <laughs> You know, yeah, it, it must exactly. either be sinful mm -hmm. or it must be selfish mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not what God wants for yeah. you if it feels good, yeah. you know, and that wasn't necessarily, people weren't necessarily preaching that but it was in the air, yeah. you know, it was in the culture. And so I had this viewpoint that uh, emotions were uh, suspect mm -hmm. at the very best, you know, uh, they could derail your thinking, you know, when you were getting a good logical handle on a situation, your emotions could sweep in and undo all of that. They could undermine your commitments. You know, you might have a commitment to be a good dad, but then, you know, your emotions sweep in and you do something that violates that. And, uh, and then in my own story, I'm a childhood survivor of trauma. Um, and one of the things that is a characteristic of that is that, uh, one of the things that makes a trauma is that it's a situation that's out of your control. And one of the ways that many people respond to trauma, I certainly did, is that you become more controlling in certain circumstances. You know, that's a way that you believe in your deepest childlike heart that you can prevent pain from happening to you and the people that you love. And so I was definitely on that track. And so while people experienced me as a good organizer or, a, you know, a person that could really create a good system, those were sort of positive implications of this really deep heart habit, which was I'm going to control as many variables in the world as I can to avoid having really terrible, painful things happen to me. Mm -hmm. And so when all of that stuff came together, you know, emotions are not something that, that are easy to control. They feel out of control a lot of times. And then you add to that, the church background that I had that was telling me things like, you know, uh, emotions are a part of temptation. Um, emotions are going to lead you astray. Uh, the more mature you become spiritually, the more logical and rational and reasonable you're going to become. Um, all of that came together to make it so that my default space when it came to emotions was, this isn't safe. It's not trustworthy. Uh, and I need to 
I need to get away from it. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my reaction was to do what was necessary to get out from under the discomfort of having emotions, you know? And so as a pastor, it was easy for me to try and please people. It was easy for me to try and create a great program. You know, as a husband, it was easy for me to try and make sure my wife was always happy, you know, and that sounds like a really wonderful thing Mm -hmm. to make sure my wife's always happy. That sounds really great. But when it's rooted in an emotional brokenness Mm -hmm. where my value comes in, you never being upset at me, Mm -hmm then yeah. intimacy is broken yeah. because now we can't actually talk about real things. Cause if I have to actually talk with you about something that's painful or something that maybe there's real conflict around, we have disagreements about how we're raising our kids or something. Mm-hmm. If we have to talk about that, that's going to be really difficult and painful to have the conversation. And because I need you to feel okay with me, it I'll just avoid it. It'll yeah. be easier to not have the conversation. And so now we're in a marriage that has less intimacy because I'm running from the emotional content of the relationship. Yeah, and what's what's powerful to, at least for for us as as Project Patch being involved in this people helping, connected ministry, is that there's so many systems that contribute to we are, mm, right. you know, and we're coping with life. Some of it can be stuff that's explicitly said to us. Some of it can be stuff that we just kind of glean. These are the rules I need to live by. Right. Um, that just kind of naturally happen. But I think the results are, are what so many of us are experiencing is that, that disconnect from relationships over reliance on things that will never produce, you know, the, the, the results that we want. And so that could be work. It could be, um, it could be, there's substance abuse. There's all sorts of different things that, that we kind of cope to fill that, that insecurity spot. Yeah. Um, some of it's more productive than others, but in the end, you know, the, the disconnect that results from it is, is, is horrible. Yeah. Um, and, and all this stuff's going on and, and we kind of scratch our heads about it. And, and really that's what I'd love to, to get your thoughts on it is that, you know, it happens with church. It happens with unchurch, at least for project patch, we're seeing an increase in depression, anxiety disorders, um, continue to rise. And, and I haven't yeah. been around for a long time. Um, but with my 12 years working with at least the kids at, at Project Patch is that we're seeing those things continue to increase. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we're seeing an increase in, in people pleasing perfectionism. You know, two more things that, that we really consider poisons for relationship and for for productivity. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're things that cause great harm. And so this combination of four things seems to be on the rise. Um, and you've probably noticed it both from your personal experience and now that you've come out on the other side to say, hey, this is this is a real problem. Wh- what do you think is, is pressing it as a whole to 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 really cause depression, anxiety, um, people pleasing and and the and perfectionism? In yeah. 15 seconds. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I think those things, I think you're right. All those things are increasing. My wife is a teacher and uh, she just uh, went, you know, went back to work this last week in the initial week where the teachers all come in and have their meetings mm-hmm. and get everything ready. And one of the sessions, they actually had a presentation on this generation of kids. And this is exactly one of the things that they talked about was that the the levels of anxiety in what you would consider average healthy 12 year olds today Mm -hmm. is similar to what we saw in, um, adults that were seeking out mental health assistance in the sixties and seventies. Right. And so you think about what we consider to be normal, you know, uh, and it's normal right now. We, Mm -hmm. we are living in a culture, a society that is just, uh, just, completely marinated in fear, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's lots of, I think, cultural and circumstantial reasons for that. You know, this generation of kids has lived through a recession. They've, they've either experienced or they've seen families losing jobs and homes. Mm -hmm. They have friends who had to move because they couldn't afford the house they were living in. They've had parents lose jobs. You know, they are the first generation to live in a culture where, uh, terrorism is normal. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like you and I, terrorism is this crazy new thing. Yeah. You know, like we lived in a world where there, where it was really rare mm-hmm. and infrequent. And then there was this giant event that happened and it changed things. And we still remember that it's an anomaly, yeah. but for our kids, it's like hearing every other week that some ter- ter- terrible thing happened. That's normal for them. Mm-hmm. Like they live in a world where you could go to the mall and be blown up. Yeah that is normal for them, you know? And so you, you add that in. And then of course, you know, uh, our country has so much, um, alienation and division. And, and when we look at, at 
problems that need to be solved. We can't agree on, you know, a left or right or center way to solve mm -hmm. the problem. And, and so culturally, I think there's a, a great deal of fear. And then when, you know, when you bring it around to the conversation of emotional health or emotional competence or emotional intelligence, I think it gets worse when you apply that fear to a community of people who aren't equipped to, to handle that, right? Mm -hmm. Like fear is an emotion. It's a normal thing. It's a part of being human. It's not bad to have fear. In fact, fear has a really important purpose for helping us survive, right? It's an emotion that lets you know that you're under threat mm -hmm. and you need to do something. Do something you yeah. need to make a change, right? That's helpful. But when you live with that all of the time and your brain is in this sort of high emergency state of awareness all of the time, and you don't have the ability to to process that, right? Mm -hmm. What would you need? I mean, we don't, we don't have a culture where we're willing to talk about it. You know, we have parents that are very uncomfortable sitting down and having conversations with their kids about the deep things that their kids are feeling. We have, you know, families that, that don't, that don't have, uh, even the basic language mm -hmm. to be able to talk about it. You know, I, I, I write about a experience in the book where I went on a retreat for pastors experiencing burnout and the facilitator was a therapist and one of the sessions, he handed out a little chart uh, that had a, you know, list of basic emotions. And he just began walking through them, you know, in a nice, you know, slow therapist voice, you know, just this is the emotion of, you know, and just went through the list. This is the emotion of sadness. Sadness is the emotion you feel when you've lost something important to you. you know, this is the emotion of anger. Anger is the emotion you feel when uh, you, uh, in your own private logic, have been violated. You know, he's going through this list. And I, my, my gut reaction while I was doing this was offended, mm -hmm. was offense. I felt yeah. like you're talking to me like I'm a child. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a grown man. I'm a pastor of a church. Yeah. I have responsibilities. I know what emotions I've are. I've taken developmental psych. <laughs> right? Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Pastoral you know? psych 101. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I know, what I, I know what these things are. And then I was, I was as I was journaling um, over the course of the weekend about this experience and some of the things we talked about, it occurred to me that at no point in my life had any influential person ever sat down and talked with me about the nature of my emotions. Mm -hmm. And I, I had an emotional experience thinking about what it would have been like, um, to have someone sit down and, and talk to me. You know, my dad died unexpectedly when I was 11. Uh, that was a significant formational trauma in my life, mm -hmm. you know, and to have some adult sit down with me on my bed and say, Mark, all the stuff that you're feeling right now, you know, you're feeling this sense of overwhelm and, and you, you can't get your mind off of this and it hurts like almost like a physical pain in your gut and all these things are happening to your body. And what, what all that is, it's your body and your brain telling you something, mm -hmm. right? And it's telling you about how deep your love was for your dad mm. and how much you're going to miss your dad and all that stuff that's happening to you. It's totally normal. It's what your body and brain do in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. And you just, just listen to it. It's telling you something important. Like what, what would have changed for me? What yeah. permission would I have been given if someone had said that to me, you know, and that never, that never happened, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think parents and kids can get in this very weird dynamic where parents really want their kids to be happy and kids really want their parents to be pleased with them. Yeah. And so because of those two factors, it mediates against telling the truth Yeah. because Parents don't want to talk to diff their kids about difficult things because they want their kids to be happy. And kids don't want to talk about difficult things to their parents because they don't want their parents to be disappointed or sad mm -hmm. about them, right? And so then we only ever talk about the wins. And that's fine, but life isn't the wins. Yeah. <laughs> like we grow in these yeah. moments of pain. And if we can't, if we can't process them together we won't. And so then all that stuff backs up. Yeah. And so we have kids that are carrying around years and years and years of anxiety and pain and sadness and anger that they have no outlet for, except for things that are destructive. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's what's, what is powerful about the, about this book is it, it's an openness to suddenly, Hey, there's another way. Mm, there's right. another, not only is there another way, but, um, there's a good way. Yeah. You know, there's a way that, that, a whole nother tool set that we've been born with yeah, that can guide us into wisdom. And, and I think that's re really that, that wisdom of your heart is, is to me that powerful idea is it's not just plain you have emotions, but these are an element to add a richness and, 
and in a sense, it's it's a tool that that can help us survive this real unreal world with with loss. Yeah. Um, you know, where good people are hurt. This world in which there is a level of unpredictability that is is really scary. Right. Um, a world in which we can do the right thing, we can love deeply, we can do you know pursue justice and be hurt in the process. Right. You yeah. know, where where yeah. the outcome is not tied into an easy you know, reward cycle, like, like we'd expect, you know, that, that maybe you and I've been taught even is that right. you do the right things, good things happen, you know, some of these, right. but, but really equipping our, our, our kids and ourselves to be wise in this world and to be able to navigate it. And that to me, part of, part of the section of your book is, is that you almost needed, it, it seems like, you know, as I was reading that you needed permission to open up this space. Right. For me, I did, you know, I mean, I think that Part of the problem was that I didn't, I didn't believe it was necessary. Like okay. I believed that I could solve the problems by working harder and learn, you know, reading another book and applying another method and, and I would be able to do it, you know, and that ended up taking me where it took me, which yeah. was overwhelm and overwork and burnout, yeah. you know, and part of it was that this wasn't something that I grew up hearing about, uh, in church or in my family mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, if you grow up in a church and you want to be a God honoring kid, yeah. you know, you're, you're just trying your best to please God, you know, well, again, no one ever said to me that part of pleasing God is understanding this part of how God made you to be, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it seems silly to almost say it because we don't condemn people for experiencing hunger, right? Yeah. Hunger is a natural, uh, or, or organic response in our body that our body has to tell us something important, yeah. right? Our body needs nutrition yeah. and you should set about finding it. Yeah. You know, that's, it's a normal thing. And you, and you, and you, you follow the wisdom of that message, yeah. you know, and yet we have lots and lots of messages that when you feel anger or when you feel sadness or when you feel guilt or, or even, you know, some Christians, when you feel really happy about something that's not spiritual, oh, okay, right. Yeah. That you, sh you shouldn't <laughs> follow those feelings, yeah. right? You shouldn't like we tell people it's, it's similar to saying, Hey, you're going to feel hungry, but when you feel hungry, you shouldn't eat. Yeah. You know, well, clearly there's extremes, yeah. you know, there's people who have dysfunctions in that system in their body and there's, you know, there's eating disorders and sure it yeah. can get confusing, but the basic starting point is these emotions exist for a reason. They have a purpose and that purpose is to do two things is to give you a piece of important information and it's to motivate you to take action. Mm -hmm. That's what your emotions yeah. are going to do every time. And if you, if you know that about the system, if you understand it, then as it's happening in you, you have some ability to, to listen and respond. Mm -hmm. And instead of being a uh, reactive, um, you can, understand, yeah. you know, why am I feeling this way? What is it motivating me to want to do? And is that who I want to be? Yeah. Is that how I want yeah. to act? It's, it's interesting to me is that arguing with kids and adults, arguing may, might not be the right word, but there's times when you're introducing something new and someone will come back with the where, very worst case scenario. Right. You know, exactly. You know what I mean? And so if you're saying use emotions more, well, what if I, you know, emotions will take me here. Right. You know, and that's always the, the, <laughs> I mean, we, we both grew up in a conservative rough, you know, dancing, dancing right. is going to lead to sex. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that combination or sex is going to lead to dancing. I'm not sure which was <laughs> right, worse. Right, but right. Both <laughs> scenarios were bad, but here's the thing that, that your, your book takes on that topic is, you know, let's take emotions and let's live them out in the most perfect example possible, you know, and bringing God into it. Well, I, well, and even that that's possible. Yeah. Right. I think, I think it's a new thought for some people to consider that there can be a godly outcome to anger, mm -hmm. you know, or even like, I'll say a couple of things now. And I think some listeners are going to think I'm off my rocker, that there can be a godly outcome to jealousy, mm -hmm. you know, like we jealousy as an emotion, like we're used to thinking about jealousy as uh, an act of immaturity, yeah. you know, that someone feels jealousy because they, you know, they're a possessive boyfriend who believes that their girlfriend is their property. Yeah. And, you know, that we, we think that that, that person is horrible and immature. And I think the reason we have that expectation is because we have very little experience of jealousy being lived out mm -hmm. in a healthy or God honoring way. Mm -hmm. Right. But jealousy is just simply the emotion you feel when a relationship that matters to you is threatened. 
Mm. That's it. Right. So the emotion in itself isn't wrong or bad or sinful. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's notice. Right. So, um, I was, my wife, Christina, we're married now when we were dating part of our dating life, uh, we were dating long distance. Mm -hmm. She was away at college. She was on the gymnastics team. So she's the, she's the small girl that gets thrown around up on top (laughs) of the pyramids and standing up, you know, 40 feet in the air on top of people. And, and she's getting thrown around by like big buff guys, you know, muscular guys wearing, you know, very little clothing, that, that don't right? Look quite like you right. And I. That don't look like I at all ever have looked, right? You know, and and she's four hours away at college, you know, and and I had this feeling rise up in me, right? This and and it is fair to say is a jealousy, and I could have responded to that by telling her that in no uncertain terms is she allowed to hang out with those guys, right? That's what we're used to thinking yeah. of as a jealous reaction, yeah. but instead. Um, I, I understood this is telling me that the relationship's at risk and it, and it is truthfully, right? We know that intimacy is, is built from time spent together. Mm-hmm. And if she's four hours away, spending a lot of time with other people, yeah. then it is a real risk. Yeah. So what do I do? Well, I figure out ways to spend time with her. I figure out ways to, uh, reinforce and build into the relationship wow. that I have with her. Yeah. Right. And, and trust that she's going to make you know, make her own choice. My part of that is not to control her. Mm-hmm. My part of that is that if this relationship matters to me, I will rise up and invest in this relationship, yeah. you know? And so every emotion has that, that corner, right? Where there's a place that we could go with the emotion that's selfish. There's a place we could go with the emotion that's hurtful to others. There's a place we could go that's about defending ourselves or justifying ourselves mm-hmm. or even sinful, but there's also other places that we could go with every emotion. Yeah. Right. And that's part of it is that is learning that, right. Learning that every single emotion has a message it's bringing to you. And then you need to look at the circumstance that's generating the emotion and understand how does this message make sense in this situation? And what's, what is the way that I want to respond? You know, for me as a follower of Jesus, the final answer is always going to be, what's the way to respond to this emotion? That's the most like Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. the most in keeping with Jesus's character. And, you know, it's hard to get there when you're just all reactive, mm-hmm. right? When it's just happening all reactive. Yeah. And so part of the book is also, I think, a call to um, be more reflective about what's happening within us and in our relationships. And maybe maybe even to try some things. You know, in the book at the end, I, I offer a journaling process mm-hmm. that's really about creating this space of reflection Mm -hmm. so that instead of just having an emotion and reacting to it, that you have the emotional experience for what it is, Mm -hmm. you allow it to be what it is. And then you have some space to sit with it and reflect, what does this mean? What is it about? Is God doing something in this? Is there something I need to learn here? And then once you've done that, now you have this freedom that you didn't have before to make an intentional choice. Now I'm going to act in a, in a certain way. And so maybe the initial emotion I had was anger. Well, anger is the emotion you feel when you or somebody you love has been violated. And maybe I can identify that, yes, indeed, somebody was violated. And now I'm going to stand up for that person. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm yeah. going to stand up against bullying or I'm going to stand up on behalf of this person who's being oppressed or I'm going to stand up on behalf of, you know, this system that's hurting a group of people, whatever yeah. it is, right? I can be moved, which is the second thing emotions are going to do. I can be moved to allow that energy that came from the anger to have me act in a way that's life-giving, right? And that would be the ultimate goal. Like, I believe God created us this way, and I believe that the goal is to move us toward righteousness. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not buy into that model. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You could be an atheist, and it could just simply be this. Understand what's going on under the hood so that you can use what's happening in you to move you towards a more life-giving way of living, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's bigger than that, but... That's, that's the picture, right? If we understand what's happening, we can make informed choices that then allow us to act with intention. And now we're free to begin making a difference in the world or in the family or with our kids or whatever the situation is. Well, in a way, the, the, I was talking to someone the other day and, and he shared, you know, worst fear for him is being blind. He he just fears that, Hmm. which is interesting because, uh, you know, you think of different senses that you could lose that, yeah. you know, which one, um, for me, sense of taste, <laughs> I'd hate to live without being able to taste food. Yeah. That would be a sad life. <laughs> I'd probably give up coffee, but that'd be my, you know, that'd be my point. But, um, 
you know, when you look at, at life without senses, it, it you lose a, a sense of, of richness, independence. You, you end up, life, life was designed to have senses, right? You know, and, and in a sense, really the, the idea of, of emotions that, that comes out clear to me is that our emotions are talking to us. Mm-hmm. Um, their talking is not always clear. Our response isn't always clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one thing that I just want to stress for, for parents that are listening in is that your kids and you, when you're being responsive rather than reactive, you're still going to make mistakes. Right. But maybe fewer regrets, you yeah. know, along the path. But but this whole opening up to a brand new world of I am going to take this, this is part of the wisdom. This is speaking yeah. to me. God gave this to me. Um, my relationships are, are heightened. I can actually help my kids by helping them discover this this whole new world of, of being. Yeah, um, I, that's huge. I, for me, going through the process of writing the book where the concepts were very present for me, you know, it really impacted... Uh, my experience with my children. I have, mm-hmm. um, I have a daughter and a son. Uh, my daughter Emerson is 11. Um, my son will be turning 10, um, this fall. And, um, it really writing this really impacted me, right? Cause first off, I don't want to be the guy who wrote this book. And then he, you know, his relationship with his kids is a nightmare because he can't <laughs> handle his emotions with, around his kids, that. you know? Uh, and so just because I don't want to be a hypocrite, I started having to pay more and more attention. Um, but it also changed the way I process things with them. You know, I think kind of, um, you know, level one parenting is all about peace and quiet and crowd control, Mm -hmm. you know, and I relate to that a lot. You know, I'm an introvert. I like quiet when I'm at home, I'm often trying to do restful things and I just want my kids to just be quiet, you know, and when they get into a scuffle, and one of them, you know, feels like the other has violated them. The thing in me is not like, let's find out justice. The thing in me is just get away from each other and stop squawking. Let's solve this. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's about me and it's about my hopes and dreams. It has nothing to do with what's best for them. You know, so then the next level up is, you know, I'm going to try and help them work through it. But for me along a lot of the time, you know, trying to help your kids work through conflict is like being a blind detective on CSI, Okay. you know, like they, t- someone, you know, my daughter says that he stole the, the precious toy and he says that, no, she threw it at him. And yeah. you know, how do you yeah, untangle that? True. Who did the thing? I have no idea. Yeah. My whole house isn't covered with video cameras, yeah. you know, and, and so then I don't make good choices as a parent either, you know? And so what's happened with the, with the content of the book is that it's given me a way to talk with my kids about situations like that. That's not about what they did wrong. Yeah. Right. To be able to, my daughter is very emotive and my son is much more internal. And so it's been, it's given me a a language to be able to talk with them about what is happening for them. Um, you know, to talk with my daughter, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with her, you know, not a couple of weeks ago where we sat down and we talked about, you know, the, you know, using, you know, words that are appropriate to an 11 year old, yeah. but basically talking about the difference between your, you know, lower brain thinking and your thinking that happens in the front of your brain yeah. and how the thinking that happens in your front of your brain is slower than the thinking that happens in the bottom part of your brain. And, yeah. you know, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, if, you know, if you believe right now that Lucas really is out to get you, your response to him is to hit him or yeah. to defend yourself. Where's that coming from? You know, what do you need to do to be able to get it so that you can think with the front of your brain, yeah. you know, and when you're, you're angry, you know, to even use the language I use in the book to say, well, you're, it sounds like you're feeling angry. Do you feel like Lucas violated you? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, talk mm-hmm. to me about that. What do you feel like happened? Mm-hmm. You know, and to be able to then get it out of, you know, talking necessarily about their behavior directly, mm-hmm. but more talking about what's, what's moving that behavior. Mm-hmm. Where's that coming from? Why, you know, why are, why is that happening? Well, because I'm feeling really angry right now. Yeah. And then to be able to say, okay, I get it. I feel angry sometimes too, when Lucas does stuff, you know, and, and when I feel angry, I, I want to push him or I want to fight back. Yeah, I do. I feel that way, you know, yeah. and, and we then can begin to unpack it, you know, where then she can get to the place after we have some time of saying, you know, okay, maybe this, in this particular case, the thing that he did wasn't intentional. Maybe he wasn't actually maliciously trying to do me harm. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was an accident and now we can change up the way we're going to react to one another, you know, and that, that 
process of being able to slow down the conversation with them mm -hmm. and talk about what's happening internally, that's totally a fruit of what I've had to do for myself. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the powerful thing as, as I he hear you share is that really the work that we're doing with, with our youth program is so much of this work, mm -hmm. you know, and, and our frustration over the years is that teens have lacked some of the skill set, you know, mm -hmm. they're fairly comfortable with being happy and mad. <laughs> right. And, sure. You yeah. know, and in a way boys are allowed to be, well, boys are allowed to be mad. Girls are allowed to be sad. You okay. know, it tends yeah, to sure. be the, the norm, you know, and deviating from that, that's hard. Um, with my kids, I've, I've noticed, you know, okay, embarrassed. You know, mm -hmm. are you mad or are you embarrassed? Right. You know, and honestly, they come out pretty similar. And right. if mad is your exit, you know, the volcano, the path of least resistance is mad. Right. Um, but really the, the core is sad mm -hmm. or the core is embarrassed or, the, mm -hmm. you know, scared. I mean, there's so many, there's such a depth to it. Yeah. And and you provide tools for that. You know, one other thing, you know, as, as transition, because we could give away the whole book here and, <laughs> and end of the day, you guys just need to go out and, and buy it. It's not a parenting book. But the goal of it is really to teach emotional understanding. Yeah. And so much of what we were frustrated with as a ministry was that our kids are learning something. And then as we started doing parent training weekends, um, we were teaching the parents at, at our, our youth program on parent weekends and saying, so these are some of the things your kids are learning. Um, you know, here are some ways you can re reinforce it. But they're really short little things on emotions. And we realized that there was just a lack of parent understanding of the mm -hmm. emotions, mm -hmm. you know, and so we started seeing some generational trends and it's easy to get mad at the parents, but the reality is no one's taught them. Right. Right. You know, it's not been a, it's not been a priority to talk about this. It hasn't been, but of anything now, this is a key tool for, for survival, for keeping relationships intact, mm -hmm. you know, for dealing with the level of fear that we're living in right now. But even more than that, you know, just the, the depth of relationships that are required we can't navigate this world alone anymore. Right. You know, the, the days of trying to be a robot are, are, are past, mm -hmm. you know, the solution for, for addiction is not, is not some program, it's relationships. Yes. You know, and so really the, the tools that you provide are, is that path to, to vibrant relationships, even what you're describing with, with your kids, that is such a amazing moment of connection. Yeah. And so as you, as you've gone through this book from personal pain to opening up how wide this emotion world is, you close it with, with tools, um, things that, that people can do. Um, just really quick, I mean, just as a, because I, I know <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast. I'm <laughs> loving it. But um, even from the physicality, can you describe, you know, just how you'd maybe even talk to a kid about physicalness of emotions, how they can tell? Okay. Um yeah. So in the book we go through, I go through several of the really significant emotions that are in our lives. It's not comprehensive at all, but you know, we talk about anger and fear, um, sadness, um, uh, happiness and compassion kind of as the big five. And, um, at the heart of all emotions, I think the, a, a tool that's really, really easy and simple is at the heart of all emotions is, um, this this, uh, simple principle that I, I talk about called push or pull, mm -hmm. right? That, that our emotions, they are, when they rise, they are, they arise as a, a response to something that's going on in our environment or in our interior landscape. Mm -hmm. And they, they always start in that way. They're a reaction. And when they arise, they're going to bring a piece of information to us and they're going to move us uh, to take action, right? We're, we're all familiar with, you know, the person who cuts us off in traffic and we, you know, slam our fist on the horn and we yell, like we, you know, somebody got in our space, they violated us. We feel that burst of anger and mm -hmm. we have to do something with it. We have to step on the gas and, you know, raise a fist or whatever yeah. it is that we do. So all emotions move us. And, and so emotions tend to that emotional energy of action. It comes in one of two ways, it either is energy that moves us toward or energy that pushes us away. So mm -hmm. this is the push and pull. Your emotion is either going to pull you toward something, which is um, an emotion of wanting more of that. 
you know, so, uh, emotions like affection, uh, happiness, mm -hmm. uh, joy, intrigue. These are emotions of that pull you, like you see that thing, whatever it is you're responding to. And you want more of that. Mm -hmm. You, you have that sense of, Oh, I wish this could last longer. Yeah. Or I wish I could have more of that, whatever that thing is more time with that person. And then we have emotions that push us away from something, you know, so emotions of, uh, 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 fear, uh, disgust, uh, hatred. Uh, these are emotions that, that we respond to that thing and we, we feel a recoil within mm -hmm. us, right? We're not, we're not even thinking consciously yet. Oh, I don't like that guy. It's an interior push, you know, that, that pushes us away. And, and that internal, that, that quick internal check can, can be something that you can do really quickly when you haven't gotten yet your handle on all the emotions. Like you can, you can ask yourself in this, in this, feeling that I'm having right now in my gut, do I feel drawn toward some, toward something or, or, or pushed away from mm -hmm. it, you know, and that will give you just a quick check. Like certain emotions are push emotions, certain emotions are pull emotions in the book. There's a basic emotions chart that talks about the different ones that are push and pull. Um, but that's a initial check. And usually the emotions that pull you towards something usually are something that you want or something that's going to, uh, give you pleasure mm -hmm. or something ideally that's going to contribute to your well-being. Yeah. And the emotions that push you away are generally speaking emotions that are about safety, um, wanting to get you away from something that's unsafe, uh, something that that's dangerous or something that, um, uh, is toxic for you. Yeah. Right. And, you know, sort of in the wild, that toxic thing might be a, you know, a poisonous berry, right? But in the cultural world that we live in with relationships, that toxic thing might be a relationship that's not healthy, or it might be a person that's not safe. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know consciously why they're not safe. Yeah. Like you haven't, you don't have enough information. You don't know why they're not safe, but you have an internal thing that pushes you away from them. And if we're not teaching our kids to pay attention to that, we set them up for danger, yeah. right? We're, because very often they will pick up mm -hmm. cues that someone's not safe for them. And if they would follow that, yeah. they would remove themselves from well, that. It's so interesting because part of, you know, as, a, as I was listening, that idea of, um, I think the tension even is that there's intuition that, that we should rely on. But part of it is that I think we override, we use logic or something to override these systems that are really speaking truth to us. Right. I mean, I can think of decisions that I've made, even relationships that I've been in, commitments that I've made. Um, I mean, coming from a people-pleasing perfectionism, mm -hmm. there's so many things that I've got to do this. I need to do this. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. And, and it just feeds that side where emotions are saying, you know, I'm really tired. I'm really angry right now. You know, if if I'm just, I can even physically start feeling when the, when the phone call comes up you know, is this just something more? Oh yeah. You know, so those sorts of signals is, is, it's not even an intuition. It means our body's screaming out at us. You, you know, you need to rest, you need to reconnect. Right. Well, I would say it is intuition and it is our body speaking yeah. to us. Like, I think we've made intuition into this mystical thing okay. when what I believe intuition is, is intuition is your accumulated storehouse of bodily knowledge. Okay. Right. Like, like you have kind of two systems for accessing information. You have your sort of rational frontal brain system, which is, you know, like in the olden days, we, we would compare it to a filing cabinet. Okay. I guess now you'd compare it to like a, you know, Google cloud drive or something. Yeah. Right. Like you've got all your memories and you've got all your values and you've got all that stuff in the cabinet there and you kind of go through it and you make your choices. And that's one of the ways that we know things. But God built us in such a way that we have access to knowledge much quicker than that. That. that is a slow system. Yeah. And the quick system is the one that's built on the deep library of experiences. Mm -hmm. And so you've had all of these life experiences with different people and different circumstances, and you've been taught lots of stuff and that's all in there. It's yeah. all deeply in there. Yeah. And when you have that, it flash, that momentary flash of this person's not safe. The reason you feel that is because all that deep knowledge is being brought to bear. Mm -hmm. There's something about this person that is triggering an associative comparison to something you've experienced in the past. Yeah. And it's not come to your conscious mind yet. The conscious mind is very slow, yeah. right? It's not, you, you don't have a fact to wrap it around. You just have this gut feeling. Well, that gut feeling is your intuition mm -hmm. and it's a real thing and it really matters, yeah. you know? And I think, I think two things about that that are important. One is that we all need to be 
practicing paying attention mm -hmm. to that intuition because there's truth there. And then the second thing is this is why dealing with trauma is so important because trauma experiences uh, twist our intuition. Yeah. Right. And okay. so when you have a very, because what, because if, if intuition is the deep storehouse mm -hmm. of bodily memory, and it happens to be that in your deep storehouse of bodily memory, you have terrible experiences, yeah. the intuition that comes out of that is going to be twisted around that powerful experience. Right. And so you may, you know, I have a friend, for example, who, um, uh, had, she's a, an older woman now who, well, uh, when she was younger, had a series of abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. And when she talks about her ability to be connected to other people, uh, even thinking about being attracted to people, she for herself says, my picker is broken. Hmm. And what she's referring to is that somewhere in her story and her journey growing up, the things that she got attracted to were twisted okay. because of trauma in yeah. her life and her childhood that was never dealt with. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to be an adult and you feel attracted to somebody, her feelings of attraction weren't pure feelings of attraction because they were, they're twisted by this trauma experience. Yeah. And so she was drawn to people who were abusive. Mm -hmm. And she finally got to a place where she had to say, my ability to know what I'm attracted to is broken, broken. <laughs> right? Yeah. I need to deal with that. And we, we live, we're surrounded with yeah. people that have some similar variation mm -hmm. on that theme, you know? And yeah. so I think to have our intuition restored, restored yeah. we have to learn to pay attention to our emotions, to understand what they mean, where they're coming from. We have to recognize how intuition hits us. Mm -hmm. You know, like for me, it's in my gut, okay. right? I use that word a lot and I mean it literally. Like my gut will tell me when I'm about to go into conflict because I will feel twisted up in yeah. my gut every time, you know, I did not know that's what it was until my therapist helped me see that, you yeah. know, my gut will tell me if things are peaceful. My gut will tell me if things are not peaceful. That's, and it's, it's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. you know? Uh, I just didn't know it was yeah. accurate. I wasn't paying attention to it. I was taking a lot of Tums You're and too stressed. Right. I, right. <laughs> well, that's exactly lesson. right. You know, I thought yeah. it was, I thought it was bad food or that I was stressed out or whatever. Yeah. And then I was grumpy cause I didn't feel good. Yeah. And then I could use not feeling good as an excuse, you know, like it was yeah. just a whole bunch of junk yeah. when the fact was I had a powerful tool at my disposal that I was ignoring. And you know, that's part of what intuition is. Yeah. And, and I think that's where, where this book as the book ends, it's guided to a process of, of, and, and I won't break them all down because there's people just need to read it, but there's, there's tools for, for really taking a look at what's going on physically, yes. the ways of processing it, the ways of gaining wisdom from, from what's going on and really leading to action. Yeah. And so that's the personal process. And so as people read this book, they're going to get a, a connection with you. They're going to get a connection of why this was important to you, but I think they're going to also I mean, it's a personal personal journey that we we join you on, and you don't just wake us up to the need. There's there's specific teaching around it. You know, I want to take one more more step. I guess one little quick little ad. If people want to buy it, what's the easiest way for them to to get a hold of it? Sure. So um, I don't know when the podcast will go out. Uh, um, probably this week. So okay. right at release date. So September first is the official release date, okay. and so that means that on that date it will be available at all major vendors where books are sold, cool. you know, so you can Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, um, uh, Christian book distributor. Um, those are all online vendors. Um, you know, it will be in some local bookstores, I'm sure. Um, if it's not in the local bookstore near you, they will be able to get it for you. They'll be able to order it. It's a, you know, a it's in the systems that bookstores have access to. Um, if you want more information about the book, uh, to kind of give you, you know, some more, uh, about kind of what the, what's in the book, you can find out about that at, um, www.thewisdomofyourheart.com. Um, there's also, um, on my Facebook page, uh, which if you just look for me on Facebook at Mark Allen Shelsky, uh, there's a series of videos, short videos that I've put together. There's seven videos. They're all about three minutes long and they each touch on some key themes of the book. So that's a great way to kind of get a, a quick survey of what the book's about. And, uh, if this goes out this week, 
um, and you pre-order the book before September 1st, there's a handful of uh, cool bonuses that I put together uh, to kind of help make the journey easier. So there's an infographic that can you walk you through the process of reflecting on your emotions. There's a small group guide, facilitator's guide. Those things are uh, all at the website. But after the first, it'll be available wherever, I, as they say, fine books are sold. <laughs> Perfect. And one thing that I, I so really someone basic level involvement would be them purchasing the book going mm -hmm. through it yeah really if if you're going to say you know for a parent that really wants to make this happen in their life in a more significant way um you provide tools for i mean if a guy wanted to grab it and, and go with it with a couple or mm -hmm. another couple or just you know some of the guys this is a this is a book you've created in a way that's got questions for reflection built into the yes. book but there's also supplemental guides that would really make this a, a great book to process with with people. Yep. Yeah, the, every chapter has questions that have been written. They're not just throwaway questions. They've mm -hmm. really been written with an intention toward helping you think about your own life and life change. And those questions can be used individually or in a group setting. And then in addition to that, I'm providing, this will also be at the website, I'm providing a six-week uh, course that's a short video, about a 10 to 15-minute video um, that it divides the, the course divides the book up into six sections and each section gets a short video and then has questions to process through. So you could take a group through it in six weeks, read the book together, process these questions. And then in addition to that, there'll be some other materials that are available that could walk you through some of the processes in the book in a deeper way as an individual. And that'll all, uh, you'll be able to find all of that at, um, the wisdom of your Awesome. Awesome. So in the show notes, we'll have all those details, um, some some other things like that. And and really, I think the thing for parents that are listening, saying, you know, how is this really parent related? You know, it's just parents. Our kids are, um, in a sense, this probably sounds, <laughs> the analogy will fall apart as I listen to it again, but, you know, they're they're getting our scraps. You know, in, in a sense, you, you described that how you parent has changed because of, right. because of your maturing. Um, and really, the the tools as we start applying them in our own lives, that's the traction for modeling. That's the traction for for giving our our kids what they need. And really, the the push that I'd say is is yeah, get this book, read it. But if you can do it in a community, um, that is going to be something that'll really help you. You know, really build accountability around it and give you probably more tools to to really bring your kids along on the on the journey and the trip for it. So, uh, Mark, anything that you'd like to add, really, as as we close up. Um, this afternoon? Well, I think there is probably nothing more emotionally triggering for us than our kids. Mm -hmm. Like this is really where the rubber will meet the road. Like I can behave like a very emotionally competent adult out in the world, in my job with other grownups most of the time. Where I get challenged is in my relationship with my kids. Mm. You know, my daughter is just like me in all the ways that I wish she wasn't. You know, my son is so different from me in ways that confound me. Yeah. Like that's where I get tested. And so I think having the audience of this podcast be parents, I think this is this is a great resource because if you can begin to practice these things with your kids, it's way easier to yeah. do it out in the world, yeah. at your job, with your coworkers, with customers. It's way easier to do it there yeah. than it is to do with your family. But if you could actually learn how to be reflective about what's going on inside of you emotionally when you interact with your kids, you will have the freedom to treat them differently. And it will help you cross that bridge from the, oh, I wish I could be that kind mm -hmm. of parent to actually beginning to have practical wow. ways to do it. Wow. That's what's happened for me. And it's, you know, it's the place that needs it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, if I treat a barista well, that's nice. If I treat my children well, that changes their lives. Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's where it matters. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, thanks for leading the way. Thanks for... Um putting yourself out there. I know it's, it's a, um, I can't imagine anything much more terrifying than, than putting a book out there and, and, um, you know, prayers will be with you as you launch. Um, once again, for people to look at it, um, we'll have the, the website is the wisdom of your heart dot com. Mm -hmm. So the wisdom of your heart dot com and, um, spell wisdom without an E. <laughs> That's my problem. You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> And also uh, markallenshelsky.com has a bunch of stuff. And so, Mark, thank you so much for your time. So, hey, it's been a long podcast, but I hope it's been worth um, every second of your time. I've enjoyed it, and 
and and I get to choose what's on, on the podcast, so I'm I'm thankful for that. For a, um, a couple things out there, so if you could keep your watch out, um, we've got a couple family experiences coming up. The weekend of September 14 through 17 um, is just around the corner, and then the weekend of October 19 through 32. So listeners of this podcast can get 10% off um, your entire family attending either one of these final two family experiences. Just mention podcast when you register online, or call us at 360-690-8495. Once again, 360 360- um, 690-8495 to register. Also, it's just around the corner is um, the Refresh Conference in Chicago. So for any of our foster adoptive parents out there that have been coming to Refresh in Seattle for a couple of years, um, this is the second year that they're doing it in Chicago, October 6th through 7. You'll want to get re- registered for that at Chicago, excuse me, refreshchicago.net. So refreshchicago.net. Um, it's a weekend of amazing speakers, connection, um, Me Too moments. Um, I'll be there teaching about siblings and also about um, when it is um, time to partner with resources outside of the home to help your kids. So, Mark, thank you for your time. Everyone, thank you for your time and listening. I hope that you're encouraged by it. Now go out there, connect with your family. We can help at today's family experience.